Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host, Rob Kent. As you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Cyborg Conspiracy, the third book in the trilogy. And by God, it's available now. You could be reading it now. I assume you've already read the first two books. If you haven't, good news, you can get that first book, Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, as a paperback, uh, an audiobook, and the ebook is free. Free to download whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. So get yourself a copy, get more information about those books, plus hundreds, thousands of interviews with uh, uh, literary agents, authors, editors, publishing professionals, all the folks I know you're going to be interested in at Middle Grade Ninja. And that's it. That's that's all we have time for. My God, there's 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 two of you tonight. We've we've got a full house. We <laughs> we need to get started. Uh, I'm I couldn't be more thrilled. My uh, guests this evening are Seba uh, Sulaiman uh, and Kyle Lukov. Uh, and thrilled to chat with both of you. Uh, esteemed audience knows that I want to make uh, friends in the industry, so I never summarize other people's books and I never summarize other people's biographies. Uh, so, Seba, I'm going to ask you to go first and give uh, esteemed audience kind of an overview of your background. Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Seba Suleiman. I'm an agent at Talcott Nash Literary. We're a small agency located or based in Milford, Connecticut. I would say located, but we are all now remote. And this was actually before the pandemic. Um, so we all live outside of Connecticut, except for our president who still lives there and, you know, does the checks the mail, as it were. Um, and I have been in publishing now for, I um, want to say, six-ish years. I started out in editorial. I was actually at a romance imprint um, interning. Yes, Kyle. <laughs> Kyle's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was my first experience. I was very green. I, I applied for the internship, and they, they asked me if I could read and write, and I said yes, and they hired me. <laughs> And I'm so glad they had so much faith in me because the first thing they asked me to do was to write back cover copy. And I had no idea what that was. And I hadn't read the book and it was due the end of the day. So to say that they threw me in the deep end is an understatement. Um, but I'm so grateful that they did that because it was exactly the experience I needed to sort of clarify in my mind that this was what I wanted to do with my life, just publishing. Before which I definitely had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so I was there for about a year or so, and then I, I switched over to agenting when I figured that I still wanted a job and no one was giving me a job. And then my boss at Sourcebooks, at the Romance Imprint there, connected me with my current boss. So I started interning with her and then I started assisting her and then she offered me a job and I never looked back and that's my background. Um, in terms of what I represent. I represent um, both adult and children's fiction and nonfiction. So we run the gamut. We're a generalist agency. Yeah. Esteemed audience, I promise before we're done, we're going to find out more details about the exact types of books that, that Sub is looking for. Probably your book. So so get excited. Stay tuned uh, for that. I am curious when you're in a situation like that, that the, at the, it's the end of the day, you haven't read the book, they're like, read the back or write the back copy. One, how do you pull that off? And two, do you say, hey, I've never done this before. Oh my gosh. Or do you just do the actor and like, of course I can ride a horse and cast me in your movie and then I'll figure it out later. Well, I, first of all, I assume they, they asked me to do it because they thought I could do it. And so I, I did, I was pretty 
frank with them. I asked them, first of all, what back cover copy was, since I didn't know what it was. And then when I said, well, clearly, I mean, you know, if I were to describe the, the main conflict of the story, it would be helpful to read the book. And I don't know if I've had that time. And they said, Sabah, no one reads the book. <laughs> so yeah, everyone, I'm sorry to break your hearts, but most of the people in your publishing team have not read your book. And that's why all of those summaries that we write and the synopses and all of those check-ins you make sure you do or your agent does on your behalf in terms of whether the cover, the person on the cover has blonde hair, but the person actually has red hair, stuff like that happens all the time. So we have these big databases where they have very specific descriptions of all of the characters. And then there's a synopsis that basically gets logged in to the system that I'm guessing the author wrote way back when, when they were on submission. And that's what most people base their pitches on, their marketing sales pitches, the back cover copy, all of that. So they gave it to me and I read it and I said, okay, let me try it. And I did. Good news is I don't think we're going to say anything more heartbreaking the, the whole show. <laughs> You're not reading the books. Oh my God, no. There's just too many of them. You know, I, I know it is heartbreaking, but there's, just too many books and not enough time. And I think feel like that's just everyone's conundrum in this industry overall. So, yeah. I'm ordering everyone in publishing a time turner. We're going to get those books read. We'll, we'll be all right. Uh, Kyle, uh, same question to you. Please give us uh, an overview of your background. Yeah. Um, so I got hired at Barnes and Noble when I was 16 and it was the only job that I ever really liked. Um, I went to like college and I did some other things. Like I had internships at like various like feministy or whatever organizations. Um, but I always just kept going back to Barnes and Noble like on summer vacations or whatever. And then I graduated from college and I tried to go to law school for like a minute. And then I went crazy and I dropped out. Like I had to go to a hospital for a little while. It wasn't a good scene. Uh, so I dropped out of law school and I got some job that actually is like vaguely related later to publishing, but it wasn't at the time. Um, and I hated it. And I was like, I just want to work at a bookstore again. I just want to help people find books. I don't know. Um, and then after about a year of that, I was hanging out on my friend's houseboat because that was where he lived in Brooklyn. And he was opening up his mail and he, he like got a letter and he was like, Hey, I got into library school. And I was like, library school. Is that a, is that like a thing? Do you go there to be a librarian? And he was like, I think so. Um, and I was like, why aren't I in library school? I should be in library school. That sounds like the same job that I'm doing now, but with more money and fewer dirty diapers left off the shelves, which actually might not be true if you work in a public library. Um, <laughs> so I went to library school. I became an elementary school librarian. And when I was starting at my job, um, I tried to write a young adult novel uh, and that did not go very well. I worked very hard on it for many years and nobody wanted it, which is fine. Um, so I pulled out this like funny little idea that I had had in my inbox from like a decade before about the collective nouns of animals. And I was like, well, I clearly can't write young adult. Maybe this will be a picture book. Cause at that point I'd like learned how to write a query letter. I knew how to take rejection. Like I knew where to find agents to query. So I sent it out to a couple people and someone liked it enough to sign me as their client. Um, and that was how I got started in publishing with like this little picture book called The Storytelling of Ravens that then turned into another book with the same publisher called Explosion at the Poem Factory. Um, and then that agent and I amicably parted ways and I sold When Aiden Became a Brother, which is another picture book by myself. 
And then I also sold the Call Me Max series on my own. Um, and then I decided to, I went back to this middle grade draft after I sold Call Me Max. Like literally the day I got the news that I had sold the Max series, I was like, oh, I can write more books. Maybe I'm not bad at this thing. So I went back and found this old middle grade draft that had been like languishing in my like Google Drive for a couple of years that I thought wasn't any good. And I reread it and I was like, this isn't awful. Like if this was a book, I might recommend it to one of my students. So I decided to finish it. Um, and then I queried Seba with it, which is not the first time that we had corresponded more on that later. And she liked it and now it's a book and now I have, so that novel Too Bright to See, which comes out next month is my seventh published book. And then we have 15 minus seven. What is that? Eight more, eight, am I right? Yes, eight more after that. So I've got, uh, when everything that is under contract is a real book that people can hold, it will be 15. And hopefully I will have more, but I don't know, because that seems like a lot. Well, you're a, you're a full-time writer now, aren't you? What do you say? So you're a full-time uh, author now, yeah, aren't you? That's my whole job. <laughs> that's fantastic. You're living the dream. So Thanks to We, we got to find like, out more about how you've achieved that and more about how Seba has, I assume, helped you uh, achieve the, the dream of being a, a full-time author. And I want to... This is a, a middle grade ninja first. I don't think we've ever had the author uh, and their agent uh, on, on the show before. So we were, we're going to learn all about how you uh, came to, to met all the professional uh, charming things you said that Seba knew she had to sign you as a, a client right away. I uh, want to hear all about that. Um, but um, I'm, I'm curious when did you go from, I don't want to take you back to that dark place of, of, of being, uh, attempting to be a lawyer, but when did you uh, realize that, oh, I shouldn't just be selling books, I should be writing them and they should specifically be geared toward children? When did I decide to not just help people find books, but to write my own? Um, and I should, I should qualify yeah. the just there because helping people find books is tremendous. There's no just yes. about it. <laughs> Go no, it's, it is a vocation as well. Um, you know, it's, it's like kind of the question, like, how did you decide to become a writer? And I've never had a good answer for that. You'd think that after being asked it like a million times, I would have an answer, but it just, I just did. Like after college, I had this I like I just started writing a thing and it wasn't much good and it was really just like therapy in the form of fiction um but I just I don't know like I I have a lot of friends but I also get lonely a lot and I found that writing was a way to keep me from feeling lonely because it was something to do it was something that kept me like busy and not thinking about being lonely um and it was also something that felt like productive and not just it felt like more than just killing time. Um, so I would like come up with writing projects that would sometimes turn into like little short published pieces and sometimes not. And then I decided to like really seriously attempt breaking into fiction with young adult because I don't know, like it's popular, like it's what people on Twitter are doing these days. Um, and I also had like some feeling of spite about it. Like I didn't, at that point, when I started writing, I don't think that I knew of any traditionally published young adult fiction with a trans masculine character, main character. Maybe I didn't know of some, it was a long time ago. And I definitely didn't know any trans men 
who were traditionally published in YA. And I was like, I want to be the first. Like, I want to do it so that like no cis person gets to do this before I do. So there. Um, and so like, I kind of felt like I had a time limit. Like I need to get this book published before some cis person like does it first, which I don't recommend that. Like, I, I always recommend projects out of spite. Like I think spite can be a great motivator but that kind of time limit I don't think is helpful because I think it made me like rush through and feel like the end goal was getting published, not the end goal was writing the best book that I possibly could. Well, that's wonderful. We should, uh, we need to put that as an official quote someplace on your, on your website. That's great. <laughs> um, so, okay. Uh, so out of curiosity, cause, um, and, and, and we're, we're going to get to the, the point in the story where, where Seba comes in, uh, and we can go back and forth and, and, and get both sides, but I'm, I'm curious, um, uh, because, um, when Aiden became a brother, uh, does tremendous win the 2020 Stonewall award, you sell that on your own. Uh, why at that point do you think I still need an agent? I mean, you got this, right? Um, Publishing is really hard. Like selling Aiden was extremely tough. Um, I sent it out on my own for a while and got, well, my former agent sent it out and got some rejection, like a few people passed on it. And she had decided that it wasn't ready at that point. And I was like, I don't know if that's true. I think it's ready. So I'm just going to try on my own. Um, but I had like, I had one editor tell me that she admired my passion, but thought that maybe I should quote, team up with a talented writer. I wanted to tell a story. Ah, oh, I hurt for you. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I kind of want to get that framed and put it up somewhere. Um, it was, again, spite. It's a great motivation. <laughs> um, but, like, I knew, like, I really, I desperately wanted Aiden to become a book. And I didn't want to wait to find an agent for it. I just wanted to do it by myself. Because, again, I felt this, like, time limit approaching. Like, I want to do this before someone does it first, which... Again, I don't recommend that, but like, I'm being honest here. Um, but like, I also knew that like, I maybe wasn't doing a good job. Like I tried to read my contract, but I dropped out of law school. So I thought that maybe there was stuff in there that could be better, but I didn't really know. And I also felt like I had no power. Like at any point the like publishing overlords could decide that I was too much trouble or they didn't want my book. Um, and I thought that having another person on my team could just like keep me from making bigger mistakes down the line. Um, yeah, I just, I, I knew that I needed help because um, I didn't think that I could query and sell an entire middle grade novel all by myself. That seemed like too much work. It's okay, it's time to, to, to put out the bat signal for the, the right agent. Um, what, uh, what is the process that brings you to Subum? So Saba, I also want you to interrupt me at this point when like you have not conflicting narratives, but like other sure. things to add. My perspective as it were. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't remember how I first found Saba. I, I think it was just like manuscriptwishlist.com, which is the only place I send people and they ask me how to find an agent. I'm like, just go there and like find someone and read their submission guidelines. Um, That's weird because I'm not on manuscriptwishlist.com. Oh. Uh -oh. Were you like seven years ago? or eight years ago? No. Okay, well then I'm making that up. I <laughs> found you somewhere. Well, um, I mean, I used the MSWL hashtag a lot on Twitter. Maybe that's what it was. That might be it. Um, so I, yeah, so in, it was 2014, right? 
Yeah, like yeah. my intern year. Yeah, the, oh. literally, I think you, yours was one of the first queries I ever read that excited me enough to be like, wow, I'm actually getting stuff that's good, you know, like, and not just, oh, let me query this agent because I've queried all 500 other ones and this one just popped up, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so I, I just... queried you in 2013, slam. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, she said one of the first, not the first. That's true. <laughs> um, so, you know, I went through the normal query process. Like I followed her submission guidelines and pasted 10 pages. And this was for a young adult, the young adult novel that I was trying to write called So Over the Rainbow. And, you know, I had been sending it out a lot over the last couple of years and I'd gotten exclusively rejections. Occasionally someone might ask to read more, but I think it was mostly just like form rejections. And Saba was the first agent to email me back and be like, this doesn't work yet, but I think that it maybe could. And here are some suggestions that I have for making it better. Um, and I got really excited. <laughs> and I think I tried again and you read it again and you were like, not quite yet. Yeah. And then I tried again and you were like, okay, this is better. I'm interested in it. And then I think you requested the first 50. I, did. I, yeah. I requested the partial, yeah. Yeah. And then a synopsis of the plot. So I was so excited. I was like, yes, I'm almost there. I've almost made it. Like, I got this in the bag, you guys. And then she came back with it, like, sorry, man. Like, it's just not, <laughs> like, um, and like a very kind pass. But like, your writing is not there yet. The plot is not quite right. Um, but if you keep working at it, like, if you keep working, then I think that maybe someday you could be a good writer. She was much oh nicer. God, I hope I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. She did not phrase okay, it. Okay, like good. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, oh, man. Um, and then, you know, I reached out to her a couple other times. Like, I had that picture book manuscript, but at the time, Seba wasn't representing picture books. Um, I wanted to sell a short story collection, which is on the very back burner still right now, forever, maybe. Um, and then in 2018, or 19, 18. Storytelling, not in 2018, yeah. What do you say? Yeah. So yeah, but then you emailed me actually when you got your agent, telling me that, you know, I'm doing picture books, and yay, this is my new calling. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. And I remember just you kept emailing me and it was really nice and not creepy, which is great, you know, because <laughs> I do get a lot of authors who like try to follow up with me because they want to make sure that, you know, I'm interested in working with them. And when I say I am, that I mean it and all of that. And that's absolutely fine and understandable. But when Kyle did it, it was very like, I appreciate you. And I just wanted you to know, you know, that this is happening and I just wanted to share it. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. I'm really glad to hear it. And it was just, it was a nice, I just, he did this, he was really smart about it or maybe it just came from the goodness of his heart. I'm not sure, probably a bit of both. Why not? Um, just, he kept in touch with me and it was nice. It was nice. Um, it was because he told me, and then he told me when he sold his book, I was following him on Twitter. I remember I was excited. And he, always, he would always add this line at the end being like, I'm so glad, you know, that we are in touch because I think just being in touch makes it makes me feel like I can do this, like I can be an author, you know, and obviously as a baby agent, that meant the world to me, even if it wasn't true. And I'm hoping it was just a little bit true at least. I was just like, <laughs> I, I love hearing that. And so I remember when storytelling came out, I bought it and I was like, I don't work with this author, but I feel like 
you know, I feel like I, I played a role in their journey and I'm just going to celebrate that. And well, so. and that's, that's actually true because like what, what was going on in my mind was like, I'm not good. Like all those rejections like made me think, well, maybe I'm just not a good writer. Like that's okay. Like lots of people aren't good at lots of things. And this is a thing that I want to be good at, but I'm not. And that's all right. Um, but Saba's like actual, like genuine encouragement made me think like, oh, like maybe I'm not terrible. Like maybe if I work at this, I could get better. And like, maybe just this like trans young adult novel isn't the right project for me. Maybe I should focus on something else. Um, and like, I kind of wondered like without her encouragement, I might've just decided to give up instead of just switch tax and try something new. Um, I think that's true. Yeah. I mean, no one can know. Cause like we only have the one timeline, but that feels really true to me. Um, all right. And then in 2018, I had finished the first draft of the middle grade that's coming out next month to write to see. And this is like, Oh, uh, I should point out through the magic of time travel. Uh, this is technically April 17th right now. And the book is available Tuesday, April 20th. Yeah. By God, you could be pre-ordering it as we, as we speak, esteemed audience. So the book that comes out in three days from now, I guess. Um, uh, oh, so this is like, I don't know. I don't know if this is like manipulative or terrible of me, but whatever. Um, I definitely remember being like, this is probably not very good. I don't really know. Um, but I know if I send it to Subba, she will tell me. And like, she will tell me what I need to do to make it better. And then I can take that and then maybe another agent will want it. Um, yeah, like I wasn't that's like absolutely fair. And I have to say, I am flattered that you thought that because it makes me feel like I'm useful and that's what I want to be. And also that my brand is working. <laughs> that's <laughs> what I want people to feel like when they send me stuff. And when I say to them this, that I am interested in seeing their work and that I will give them feedback that I mean it and that it's not form. And well, I meant it. So yay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I was extremely surprised to find out that she liked it. <laughs> And then she wanted I, to be my agent and I was so happy. And it actually I dropped. Okay. The second you sent me that, that manuscript, I was, first of all, I was in my third trimester of pregnancy. I was literally on the verge of wrapping things up and just taking a break. Cause it was a tough pregnancy. And I, I knew I like just needed to like disconnect from work. Like, and Is this uh, baby one or baby two? Baby two. Yeah. So I had a two year old and I was pregnant. It was a lot and we had moved, we were moving. And I think when he sent me the manuscript, we had just finished moving. So we drove across the country with all our things. We were also potty training my daughter. There was a lot going on. It was insane. Um, <laughs> I didn't so, know any of this. I knew that she was close to queries. Yes. But, and in my query, I was like, hey, I see that you're close, which is totally fine. But just in case you wanted to hear from me. Yeah, I, I read that and, and I was, I'm going to be honest, I was, I was happy, but I was mostly like, oh no, <laughs> because I didn't know if I had the bandwidth. And it's always just like, it's like when you get like a really exciting project on like Christmas Eve and you told yourself you were not going to work the next day. It was that feeling. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to read this because I, just, I have to. I felt like I, not because I was excited by your writing, but also because I felt like I knew you and I wanted to see what you'd come up with. And we had by then sort of kept in touch for four years or so. So 
I read it and I remember while I was reading and thinking, oh my God, this is really good. Oh no, this is really good. (laughs) I was not planning to sign a client then at all. Like it was not in the plan. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is good. No, no, no. And then of course I finished it and I was like, I have to offer on this. And so then I emailed him and I was like, we have to talk and, and we talked. So, yeah. Okay, uh, a couple of things to, to follow up on. One, I saw uh, something on, on your side, Seba, that, uh, that uh, what's the word, kind of surprised me, not surprised me, but you, you say that you try to respond to all of your queries within eight to 12 weeks. So am I to understand from that that if somebody queries you, you will respond? Yes, that is true. Um, and that is why I am always close to queries <laughs> because, well, not always, I find myself having to do it often because of, the fact that I don't have an assistant and I read all of my own queries, I respond to all of them um, and I don't like to use forms. So I, it's a, it's a, it's something I always discuss with my fellow agents in terms of, you know, why is it that you do that? Or why don't you do that? And I think if this is just how I like to, this is how I like to do business. I mean, a big part of my job, I view it as advocacy and helping people. And I feel like the gap between knowing when your project is ready and then getting an agent is so nebulous and people just don't know. Just like Kyle said, like when you query, you don't even know if you can do this. Right. And I feel like there's just not enough, there's just not enough feedback in the loop that, that should be provided. And I know it's a, it's an immense sort of opportunity and it reflects my privilege to be able to do that because it does take a lot of time and energy. Um, but it's important. I think it's important to build the ecosystem of writers and sort of build their confidence and especially encourage marginalized authors, which is what I tried to do since the very beginning, sort of give them that feedback and make them realize that this isn't just a lark. It's, you can do this and I mean it. And this is what I think you could do. I mean, you don't have to agree, but you know, I hope this is helpful. And that's part of why I love this job. And so, yes, I do respond to all queries. It hasn't been the death of me yet. It might someday, but so far, so good. Well, it's about to be now that we're getting the word out that you will send, send some of your query. She might not <laughs> sign you, but you will definitely get a, a thoughtful Except response. Sometimes I was like, no, sorry, but yes, I will. I always respond to my queries. So what's your inbox look like on any given day? How many queries are you getting per day, per week? Well, now that I'm closed, it's not too bad. It's in the hundreds, so. Hundreds is when I'm closed. <laughs> so that means um, when I'm closed, that means I'm closed to unsolicited queries. I still am open to queries, pitches from conferences, um, referrals from my clients, and that's still in the hundreds. So when I'm not, when I'm open, I would say I get about, on average, about 15 to 20 a day. Um, and it could be like 10, maybe sometimes, sometimes 25. Um, it really adds up. It's a lot. And you will respond to those queries that you receive while you're closed for queries, right? The ones that I've received that I said I would re- I would respond to? Yes, the solicited ones. I okay. will. I am definitely behind the 12-week mark, shamefully. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I will. I am going to get there soon. So, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, thank you back then. Um, when, uh, when you get... Uh, this this query in 2014, that's that's you know, neck and shoulders above all the other queries that you're receiving prior to that, uh, but not quite there. What is it that grabs your attention? Do you, I'm asking you about something that happened uh, all the way back uh, what six years ago now, almost seven? 
Um, so do you remember what happened? And also, uh, because this is April 17th, wink, wink, uh, are you uh, open or closed to Aquarius right now? I am still closed, unfortunately. Um, I think as far, as long as the pandemic is effectively ongoing, it's been hard for me because I'm still sort of dealing with a lot of childcare stuff that I did not have to deal with before. My kids are in school right now, actually, very nice, but it's still tough um, for other things. Um, so yes, I'm so closed, but to speak to the question you asked previously about Kyle's query and what made it stand out, honestly, it was just an exciting project, it was well-written in my opinion. I could, I could sense that he was talented. Obviously, I also was very interested in the subject matter as well. I had never seen, I ne definitely never received a query from a trans author about a trans character. And, that was very cool. I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. I would love to read this. I would love to be part of this. Um, and it was exciting to me that it was actually also good. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that was probably what stood out for me. So if I'm Kyle, I'm pulling out uh, all my hair. I'm, oh my God, we're that close. You're saying such wonderful things. Um, what is it that, that, that uh, obviously this, we know this has a happy ending because here you both are together. Um, but what is it that, that, that kept, do you remember what it is that kept you from moving forward? I think, and I'm not sure, and you can interrupt me if I'm wrong. I think it was just the fact that the plot wasn't propulsive enough or it just didn't feel... I think I liked the general concept and the general writing, but I just, I didn't feel like the plot was there yet, I think. So, so I've gone back, I went back and reread that project, I mean, a while ago, honestly, but I've also now since read projects that feel similar to it. And I think that one weakness that I had, that I didn't know that I had, that actually Saba picked up on, which she then asked me to like revise for, was that it was a very like clippy dialogue based book where like it just moved from like scene to scene to scene to scene. And the only thing moving the plot forward were the characters talking to each other. And there was no, there was no space to like relax into the world and to like breathe into the main character's interiority. It was just like thing, 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 thing. Um, and yeah, and I think that that was sort of what turned off most agents initially. Um, it just felt like you were sort of like bombarded with information about what's happening instead of allowed to like read a story. When did you figure, how many how many agents did you query and, and get notes from before you figured out that was the issue? Um, I mean, I only figured out that that was the issue a few years ago. I think I read a book that, I think I read a published novel that I will not name that in my opinion has the same problem. And I was like, oh, I did that and I don't like reading this, okay. Um, just back your bones on the giant robot beans. I appreciate your kindness. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I'm subtweeting you right now. Um, no, I don't, I don't remember how many agents I queried, but the answer is enough to make me feel like I should give up, which for some people might be three and for others might be 500. It's probably somewhere in between three and 500. I'm not sure where though. So you feel like you should give up, why don't you? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, well, I also just like had that weird picture book idea. I'd written a storytelling, I'd written the text for what became my debut way back in like 2007, I think. Um, I just had this like, so it's a picture book that uses the collective noun of animals and like one, one or two sentences, very, very short story. So like the first page is the nuisance of cats blamed it on the dog. 
Um, and all of the story, all of those little sentences just sort of came to me. I don't even remember one because it was, you know, 14 years ago at this point. And I think in my head, I was like, well, I'm going to try this. And if this doesn't work, then I will give up for real. Um, so Subba made me think that I could do it. And then I was like, well, but I'll give myself one more chance. And then I sold Ravens and I was like, okay, I can do this. But that was the dumb idea that I had when I was 22. That doesn't make me a real writer. Let me see if I can sell something else. Then I'll feel like a real writer. Um, and, you know, my agent at the time and I, we weren't a good fit really in a lot of ways, mostly, you know, just like aesthetically. Um, but I managed to sell my second book with her called Explosion at the Poem Factory. But that one I based on the bad poem that a friend of mine wrote. So it wasn't my original idea. So I was like, well, this one also doesn't count. Like I can't think of myself as a real writer yet because I stole this idea from Amitai. Um, I didn't steal it. I have his full permission and whatever. Um, I think it's half the royalties, uh, right? I, I gave him a third of my advance. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I owed it. I was like, I owe this to you. Well, um, and yeah, so I didn't feel like a real writer yet. And then I told myself that once I sold Aiden, then I would feel like a real writer. And it's, that didn't happen either, but it's been slowly growing on me. Um, I think I didn't give up again. Uh, mostly do you feel like a real writer right now? I do now, I do now, okay, it's taken good. a long time. It's like, <laughs> it's happening in like drips and drabs. This moment, um, now that you're on this podcast, my yes. God, it must be real. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, not when I won the Stonewall. Just yeah. <laughs> that uh, was nothing. That old thing. This moment. This is it. <laughs> that old thing. Um, yeah, and I would. I, I. I cannot discount how much spite played into my inability to give up. Um, I think that if Aiden hadn't been a picture book about a trans boy that had a story that I had never seen before, that I didn't think a cis person could come up with, I think I would have given up. Um, but I just was like so mad at everything and everyone. And I was like, if I give up, it means that they've won. So I cannot give up. Ah, the collective they, we must fight them. <laughs> <laughs> so Seba, uh, what is it about these, these emails that you're continuing to receive over time from Kyle that are charming and not creepy? And how can uh, listeners uh, <laughs> hope to duplicate that? Well, they were not frequent. They they were. Um, he would always email me when there was a reason to share something meaningful and important about his writing career, which which is why they always felt like a natural way of keeping in touch. Versus sometimes I get emails from authors just saying hi, and that can get a little awkward because you know I get a lot of email, and if it's not a little bit more sort of substantive or something where it's an update or maybe even some advice or something, then it can feel like it's pretty obvious what you're trying to do is just keep me on your radar versus keep yourself on my radar rather versus actually just build a relationship over time based on the fact that we are now connected and I'm, I hopefully am a part of your journey in, you know, your journey in becoming a writer and which is what I, he made me feel like I was and I felt it and I believed it. Um, he even once wrote a blog post where he talked about me and I was so excited. I, I very much like, he was very, he asked me for permission and I was like, oh yes, you can have my permission. Inside, I'm like, someone's writing a blog about me. <laughs> it was very exciting. And 
Yeah, that was also, I remember sharing that with my husband, being like, look, there's a writer out there who likes me enough to like talk about me. I don't even represent him. Like I'm, I mean, you know, we're talking about failure and giving up. I thought of giving up so many times in my first two years of agenting because it's so hard. I mean, like it took me two and a half years to sell my first book. And that's pretty standard. But when you're in it, it's really hard because you're just wondering when I mean, you're not getting paid through it. It's just, it's, it's really hard. And, and it was, a, it, that was the phase I was in when Kyle was sort of, you know, being very nice and kind about acknowledging my role in his author journey. And I was like, well, see, I'm making a difference. You know, it really helped me actually stay in my job in some ways, if you think about it, like, I'll never forget that blog post and just all of those kind of moments just made me feel like, yeah, I, I can keep doing this too. Maybe I should just, maybe there are some good authors who are actually progressing in their careers because of this something tiny I said to them and maybe I'm making a difference. And that's, that's kind of the nature of the notes that he would send me. Again, I don't think he sent me more than that. To be very clear, he sent me like maybe two emails, like three tops since we corresponded about that YA book. Maybe two probably or like three or four. Yeah, not more like than that. Or the course of many years. So like definitely it wasn't just a hi, checking in, what's up? Heard the weather was bad. Like, no, it was, <laughs> I'm super excited. I feel I want to share with you that I sold my first book is a really great time to reach out to someone who's been, you know, a cheerleader in the past or someone who's helped you in any way. So that was kind of, and it was always short and respectful and yeah, just want to let you know, and I'm so grateful for everything you've done and thank you. And that's it. And I was like, oh, I loved it. I loved hearing from him. It made me excited. It made me feel energized about my own job. And it made me feel many, many, I think at least two of those emails, I remember receiving them thinking, okay, I think I can keep doing this job because they were very like, oh, I, there were moments where I was like, why do I do this? You know, I get... I don't get good material. I'm not selling the books I'm trying to sell. Authors are sending me nasty rejection, rejection emails to my rejections. Like it's just really, really hard when you're a baby agent and you get a lot of, it's, it's negative overall. And so that's why those emails were very positive and I appreciate, I still appreciate them very much. I love this. You're, you're encouraging each other. Uh, slowly moving toward this this wonderful moment where you're going to go on and you're you're going to sell a lot of books together, um, but uh, two things two follow ups on that. Uh, one, um, when is when it, what is an appropriate event to follow up with an agent about? I mean, I'm assuming I'm not like, hey, I hit my word count goal today, or <laughs> I, I'm not going to send you an email every week from here on out that hey, I had this person on my podcast. How excited are you? That that's going to get old fast. So I'm assuming those are out. What what is a good thing to follow up? So I think because we had corresponded a lot on that initial project and I gave him notes on a partial, I think it's fair to say that every agent I know when they've invested enough to give them no, to give an author notes, especially on more than just the query on a partial, at least if not the full, I think most agents who do that are interested actually quite seriously in the prospect of working with that author. And so if they were to follow up at any point, just saying, thank you, this was so useful to me, I ended up finding an agent, or thank you, I decided to self-publish and this is what I did, or hi, you know, I ended up shelving that book, but I have a new book. We always look forward to hearing back from authors that we've invested that kind of time and energy into because it's not very common. So I would say those are appropriate times. Just have, uh, it's a, th that's an appropriate agent to follow up with, not just someone who just rejected your query. Um, 
definitely someone you've already kind of been in touch with at least a little bit about a book in a more meaningful way. And then if you decide, if you think, you know, you agree with their feedback, you like their vibe, you want to keep in touch, then absolutely just dropping them a line about your journey. I mean, at least me, I can only speak for myself, obviously. I would be perfectly happy to receive that kind of correspondence from an author that I've been interested enough to want to read at least a partial or a full of their work. Also, Saba is the only agent that I corresponded with like that. Like there are, you know, there are some agents now that I'm friendly with because we see each other around. We might be Facebook friends by this point, you know, because I've been in this larger community for long enough, I've just gotten to know people otherwise. Um, but for, you know, all the other agents who just sent me a form rejection, which is perfectly acceptable. Like I, I hold nobody any ill will for that. Um, but I have never really followed up with any of them in that regard because we didn't, I just didn't think that it mattered to them. Like I didn't think that they would remember me, um, which is perfectly acceptable. Um, and also like, I didn't have anything to, it would come off as bragging to them. Like I was updating Saba because I did think that she would be happy to hear it. Um, but if I was to like email every agent that rejected me and was like, hey, just to let you know, I'm great like that. <laughs> that I would... definitely get those emails too. <laughs> and those are not so great. No. Yeah, you missed out. I just want you to know you rejected me, but now I got an agent. You were wrong. I was right. I get those. I'm like, yeah. do I feel that in the dark recesses of my heart? Certainly. <laughs> but do I act on all of my unpleasant impulses? I try not to. <laughs> I I can't imagine that feeling as good as you would think it does before you send the email. I think afterward, there'd just be an empty feeling. Oh, I probably shouldn't have sent that. And then you're going to see them at a bad agent at a conference later. And it's going to be a really awkward moment. But, uh, my other question, Seba, was that two and a half years, uh, while you're not receiving anything good, you're not selling books and you're not getting paid. Are you, uh, have you got a, a, a day job going or how are you surviving during that time? And what keeps you going other than Kyle's emails? <laughs> not much. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, and I still do this. Um, a lot of agents make um, an income via conferences, teaching workshops, writing critiques. So I did a lot of those in the beginning um, just to like get that extra income. Um, I wasn't working another job. I was basically dependent on my husband and just figuring out how I could get this going on my own. I was very privileged to have that opportunity to not need that second job, but I know many, many agents don't have that privilege and they often work more than two jobs in the very beginning. Um, but yeah, I just hustled on the critique circuit a lot, a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> so Kyle, when, uh, when, when you, when, when you uh, reach out to Saba, she's excited this time. Uh, she's, she's, she's heavily pregnant. She's, uh, traveling across the country, she shouldn't be excited, but she is. How? What's what happens next? Is it a, is it a phone call? Uh, yeah, we had a f so so you know first I sent her the normal ten pages, and then she was like, oh, I love this. All right, fine, send me the rest. And I was like, okay. Um, and then I don't remember the email that followed that, but we had a phone call. Um, and actually, like you know, like she said, she was like very close to going on maternity leave, um, and. I was like, well, but I want an agent now. Like I want, I want this to happen right now. And she was saying like, she might not be able to like get started until the spring. Um, so like I had, 
So, and then also she was like so encouraging and lovely. She was like, this is such an amazing book. Like, you know, I'm sure that you would have no trouble finding another agent if you wanted one. And I was like, oh no, like, what do I do? Um, Cause you know, I don't know. Like I, I have some commitment issues. Um, and I actually did end up talking about the same book to another agent being like, hey, like, what do you think? Cause I also don't like, I'm slowly developing like a modicum of self-esteem, but like, it's been a long and hard process. So I also had that feeling of like, well, if someone, you know, I can't take, I can't trust her that it's actually good. Like, what if she's just wrong? Like I need someone else to tell me that it's good. Um, so I sent it to another agent who was interested in it, but not as enthusiastic um, and didn't say that she wanted to sign me, but said that if I made all these like significant massive structural changes, she might be interested in signing me. Um, so then I was like, oh no, like, do I go with the person who believes in me and encourages me? Or do I go with the person who agrees with my internal monologue that I'm no good and that this book is bad? Um, Ooh, head scratcher, I thought, I don't know how you're gonna figure that one out. <laughs> you know what, it was hard, it was hard. Like it took believe actually you. believing myself, like believing Saba meant believing myself. Um, which was hard, but also at that point I had, you know, had an agent that I left. So I knew that like, well, if I make the wrong choice now, I can always leave Saba, which I will never, I don't think I have trouble now, but I was like, it's not like a blood oath. Like, you know, if it doesn't work out, then I'll just give up or go back to the beginning. I don't know. Um, and also I was like, you know what, honestly, the way the publishing works like she'll give me some notes. By the time I'm finished working on these notes, she'll be off maternity leave anyway. So it's not even like, publishing is not a fast industry. If I sign with someone else, I'm not going to get an offer tomorrow. Like it will not speed up my process at all. Um, and then of course, like a bunch of my like friends who have had babies have been like, it's also like not okay to not want to work with someone because they're pregnant. Like that's just sexism. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's bad. I don't want to be that kind of person who like, punishes someone for having a baby so um, I was afraid you would I was terrified because it's yeah. happened to me before and not many people realize it is sexist but it also makes sense I mean I get it like why wouldn't you if you have an offer from an agent who's willing to start now versus not now you know I, I wouldn't begrudge any author that even though I knew that was what I was up against potentially and that's why I was so nervous and I was like, I don't want to fall in love right now. I'm not, a, I don't have time, <laughs> like, you know? And it was just, yeah. So I was very nervous, I think, because I was so sure I loved this book and I really want to work with you. But yeah, it had happened to me before my previous pregnancy. I did lose science because I was pregnant. Um, and I, I just, I kind of was like, well, I'm shooting my shot. We'll see what happens. And um, just to be clear, we are talking about Too Bright to See, which releases Tuesday, April 20th, right? Or is this yes. a different book that was, no. okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to I learn all about the process and, and what happens next. But before we do that, uh, we should tell esteemed audience a little bit about Too Bright to See, which they could be purchasing right now as they're listing. Uh, so here's the fun thing we'll do. Kyle, I'll have you... Uh, tell us a, an overview of the book. You remember my promise. I don't do other people's bios or other people's books. But then, because we have Seba here, I will have her give us some feedback on how you could have better presented the book. I think that seems fair. <laughs> so I'm Kyle, pretty please, sure he uh, has it nailed now. We've been talking about the book a lot. But yeah, sure. We'll see. I'm pretty sure he'll, he'll do a great job. But, you know, that's just me encouraging. That's what I do. 
Now, see, um, Kyle, if you had gone with the agent that wanted to tell you you sucked all the time, you wouldn't you wouldn't have that nice encouragement now. <laughs> so anyway, tell us uh, tell us about Too Bright to See. Yeah, so it is a ghost. So it's a ghost story, um, and it's about a kid being haunted by the ghost of their dead gay uncle into figuring out something extremely important. Which, like, I'm sure we'll get into spoilers later, but that's the elevator pitch for it. Um, and the idea for it came, I was sitting, I was hanging out in the library that I used to work in, talking to a parent at my school. And I was like, you know, I want to write, part of me wants to write a middle grade novel about a trans boy, because I don't know that many yet. And I don't like the ones that I know about. Sorry, I'm, whatever. Um, but I also had really wanted to write a ghost story using the first sentence of a short story that my dad had written when he was in college. My dad doesn't, He's not really a writer, but he did some writing when he was younger. And I remember being in like fourth or fifth grade. And he told me that he once wrote a story where the first sentence was, it was strange living in the old house now that Uncle Roderick was dead. And he said that he couldn't remember the rest of the story, but he remembered that he remembered that first sentence. And he still thought it was a good first sentence. And I remember going to like my teacher in elementary school being like, my dad wrote this sentence. Isn't it a good sentence? And my teacher was like, yeah, honey, it's a very nice <laughs> I was an extremely cool child. Um, but like that sentence just like stayed with me forever. And once I started to figure out that I wanted to be a writer, I was like, I want to steal that sentence and use it. Like, I don't know the story yet, but I know at least one character's name in it. And I know that there's a house and I know that it's strange. And I know that someone is dead. Um, and so I was telling this mom at my school, like, I want to write this middle grade trans boy novel, but I also want to write this ghost story. I don't know which one to do first. And then like, I just had that like light bulb where I was like, it's gonna be the same book. It's gonna be the ghost story about a trans boy where Uncle Roderick is dead. Um, and like that morning, it's like the entire book just like unfurled in front of me like a red carpet. Like I knew every single one of the major beats and I didn't know how it got from here to there, but I, I had like the major tent poles just sort of right there. Um, then I started writing it and then I gave up and then I tried again and then I gave up again for like two years, I think. And then I went back to it and I was like, no, this isn't as bad as I thought it was. I'm going to, I'm going to finish this and see what happens. What do you think, Seba? How do you do? I thought it was, I, I thought the beginning was very pithy. He summed it up in a few sentences, which is what he should have done. And then he went into a personal anecdote, which made it even more memorable. So I would say 10 out of 10. I loved it. I'm going to buy that book right now. Oh, wait, I already have an audience. Fine. Okay. <laughs> That's it. I'm making you co-host of the show from here on out. Every time an author summarizes their book, we need to get your feedback. <laughs> we'll do, we'll, we'll be like American Idol for book pitches. It'll be fantastic. Oh, perfect. <laughs> So, okay. Um, and uh, Kyle, you said something I wanted to follow up on. And then I want to I want to trace the story of, of how this uh, brings you two together and then how the two of you battle to make this an actual book that is available Tuesday, April 20th. Or if you found this later, esteemed audience, good news, you can get it right now. Um, but you have uh, said elsewhere uh, that uh, you wanted to make being trans a starting point for a story, but not the whole story. Am I butchering that quote or am I pretty close? Um, kind of. I definitely see it as a starting point, not an end point. And I see it as something that can set up a story, but that is not the ending of a story. 
So I'm curious because you, you were talking about you wanted to write either the trans story or the ghost story. Um, so was there a point where you were going to write a story that was that was solely about being trans, and then this this idea came to came to you that no, we we can go beyond that, or how? When when did you say why not both, and and why ghost as opposed to something else? Uh, well, I mean, again, I cannot underestimate how important spite is in my journey. Um, <laughs> if there's one takeaway from this interview, everyone. <laughs> no, like like I think that that's the case for a lot of my books. Like I. I think, and I think that that might be part of my like hesitation to identify as a writer, although I do now because I have to for marketing copy. Um, but I, I, I tend to not approach writing from a like, I have stories inside me that I need to share or like I have this innate drive to put words on paper. Um, for me, it is often like, here's an object that I want to exist in the world. Here's an idea that I want to exist in a world. Here is a conversation that I want to be part of. How can I be part of this conversation? Um, you know, I came out as trans in like 2004-ish, which is like a lot of years ago, over 15 years ago at this point. Um, and like I came out as queer in high school, which was 19 years ago, 20 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, so like I've been, you know, part of these communities and these subcultures for most of my, if not my entire adult life. And I've been part of these like communities and conversations, but mostly in just like a social life kind of way, just like hanging out with my friends and like going on dates with people and like complaining about the same TV shows or whatever. Um, and I knew that I always wanted to be like more of a part of these conversations, but not knowing my entrance point. Like I thought it was gonna be law school. I thought I was gonna be like Chase Strangio, who in fact, we were in law school together we were in the same class, that's how we met. Um, so I see in Chase Strangio, the ACLU lawyer, um, sort of like a, a divergent path that I could have taken. Um, and yeah, I just, I approached it as like, these are the kind of books that I think should exist in the world. And I don't know if I'm a good enough writer to do it, but I'm gonna try. Um, so yeah, so I wanted to write a middle grade trans boy book because I wanted there to be one that matched my sort of like both creative and political ethos is. That's not the plural, but I don't care. Um, ethos I. Sure. Ethos I, sure, why not? <laughs> Ethosities. Um, so I wanted one, like I wanted this object, this like cultural object to exist. And I didn't really have a story in mind first because like I knew the sort of book that I didn't want to write, but I didn't know the story that I wanted to write. Um, and then just like the ghost, I was like, oh, duh, like that's so obvious. Like I'll just, it'll, and so you asked why ghosts and it's because, I mean, Uncle Roderick is dead. Like, I guess it, he could have been a vampire because they're undead and he could have been a zombie because they come back from the dead. Um, but that wouldn't make a house strange. Like a vampire book is very different from a haunted house book and a zombie book is very different from a haunted house book. And in that first sense, we know that it is strange living in the old house, which tells you a lot about oh, the world that we have already entered into. There's a house and it's strange and someone is dead. And that to me, like, I don't know what else it would be but a ghost. Um, and there's like more, more that one could read into about the idea of like loss and like being haunted by the memories of our beloved dead and how like, what we don't know about those that we've lost will haunt us now. But I wasn't really thinking about that. I literally was like, 
I get to write a book about a trans boy using my dad's sentence. Um, and I didn't really think too deeply about the themes involved. Other people have since said very nice things about the deeper themes, but none of those were really on purpose. You snuck in some metaphorical truth. Oh, you sly devil. <laughs> I didn't mean to, I promise. <laughs> okay, so Seba, you, you get the manuscript. You're saying, my God, I, I shouldn't do this, but I must do this. I love it. Do you love it as is? Do you request some revisions? What, what, what happens next for the manuscript? Pretty much, and correct me if I'm wrong, because that entire year is a blur for me, uh, pregnancy hormones. But I, I pretty much remember loving it as it was and just having some tweaks and suggestions to certain scenes, some like tightening stuff. It wasn't major. I really thought it was pretty much almost there. Um, and it's interesting, you know, talking about you mentioning that, you know, it could have been vampire, it could have been zombie. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm so glad it wasn't because I don't, I mean, you know, I have enjoyed the occasional vampire or zombie novel, but it is not my cup of tea in general. And I would have not been as excited if it wasn't a ghost story. And I remember during our call, I mentioned that it was, it, it reminded me of Kenneth Opel's The Nest. And he said, oh my gosh, I love that book. And I was like, really? And that was a really great moment of connection because I had read that book a few months earlier and it was me trying to broaden my literary horizons because I'm not a big speculative reader or genre horror at all. And, and an editor actually recommended The Nest to me saying, you know, it's actually not, I mean, it is horror, but it's, it's not horror in the way you would imagine. Like it's not goosebumps or anything. And I was like, okay. So I read it and it blew my mind. And I remember thinking as soon as I finished that book, I would kill to have a book that gave me those vibes. And so when I was reading um, Too Bright to See, I was thinking of that novel and thinking, this is it, this is that book. And it added to my incredible, you know, um, like I was terrified that <laughs> I liked it that much. Like it was that feeling, you know, it's just, sometimes you like a book so much that, you know, if you lost it, it would just be really hard, you know? And I think that was definitely a book for me. Like that book was definitely one for me. And so, I'm really glad it was a ghost story and it was it was similar to a book that I'd already read in some ways that I brought up in our call. And so, yeah, I mean, I just, back to your question, I didn't think it needed an overhaul at all. And this is not to say that that doesn't happen. It does often happen. I do offer on books that I think needed quite a significant plot redevelopment. Um, for me, it's more about, do I have that vision? Do I, am I clear on what needs to be changed? Um, and not how much needs to be changed. Sometimes I know a book needs to be changed in a pretty significant way, but if I know how to advise an author to do that, I'll still make that offer. Um, but in this case, I didn't think it needed to be changed that much and it worked. I, I think he agreed, which is great. <laughs> so then you go back and forth, one round, two rounds, three rounds. One round, right? I think so. And like, yeah, I don't, I don't even remember what edits you asked for. I know that they were relatively minor. Yeah. It was very much like, you know, cross your T's and, you know, like dot your I's. There were certain scenes I thought, okay, this scene is feeling like you should add something more. Like, I think we had a conversation about a scene towards the end where I was like, maybe you should amp this vibe up. I'm trying not to be spoilery here, but like, you know, maybe you should amp up this particular theme here and show me 
um, you'll see when all of you definitely read the novel, esteemed audience, that you know there are lots of mirror scenes. And I was like, okay, so what are we doing with this right now? There's, are you, is this conscious? Is this a theme we want to develop? If so, then I think this particular scene where Bugs looking at a mirror, I want this to be a little bit like, oh, this is the culmination of this theme. I remember having that thought, and you're like, oh yeah, I think that makes sense. So like that was kind of like edit notes like that that were very sort of like kind of tighten things, beef it up, like make what's already here, like the raw material was all there. I just kind of suggested that certain moments be amplified or perhaps, um, you know, just brought out more clearly, I think was one of those edits, which was also great because then I didn't have to give a long overall editorial letter just before I went on maternity leave. So I was thinking that too. I thought, I think perhaps, I actually, you know, I'll never know, but if it was, if, if I thought it had required too much of an overhaul of an edit, I might not have even offered or because I, I wouldn't have time. Like I just didn't have time. <laughs> it was really, really just, I was, I remember reading the manuscript, running over because I had to throw up then coming back <laughs> because I was just, I was sick. It was a really tough pregnancy. I was, and I was just like, no, I, I, I want to work. Am I? And then I'm thinking to myself, wait, am I working too hard? Should I be working right now? I don't know if I should be working right now. Is this good? Am I being ambitious or am I being, or is this making it harder for all women? Like, you know, like, <laughs> there was just a lot going on in my head. Um, but yeah, I think, I think overall it didn't need a big overhaul edit letter. So I'm glad. And I'm glad that more than that, I'm glad that my suggestions resonated with Kyle. So, yeah. Well, so the revision comes back. It's perfect. Nail it in one. Uh, now it's time to go out on submission. Obviously, I don't expect you to give away your, your trade secrets uh, and, and, and the ways that uh, you find the best editors. But I, at that point, do you have a list of people in mind that this is going to go to? Uh, and how, how, how involved do you want Kyle to be in the submission process? Is it let me do this for you and I'll tell you afterward how we did? Or here's everyone I sent to. Here's I hope you're not having a great day today because this will definitely ruin it. Here's the immediate update that I got, or do you hold it until a more reasonable time? How's all that work? Well, for me, and this is true for all of my clients, I just have a conversation with them and ask them what they prefer because different authors want different levels of involvement when it comes to this process. Um, some authors want to know every single detail. They want to know all the names of the editors, the houses, right? Yes, Kyle, you are one of them. Um, <laughs> um, some of them are just you know skittish about the whole thing or they know that their anxiety would be just too difficult to manage and so they want to take more of a backseat and so we discussed it I shared a list of we talked about kind of what my strategy was um, we agreed on the strategy I shared a list of the preliminary editors I was thinking of submitting to um, he had thoughts we swapped I think we we thought we discussed a few names we kept one took some out I think we usually we have that process even now um, and then when it felt like this makes sense I just sent it out and we moved quickly from there. So updates were positive, thankfully, <laughs> soon. And Kyle, she's, she's doing uh, exactly as you asked. She's sending you every last painful uh, detail, uh, every moment that it's received and you're, you're loving it or <laughs> what, what's happening on your end? Um, I mean, at this point, I'm so used to rejection that it is like, it's like a mosquito bite. It like stings for a minute. And I'm like, well, I'm kind of over it. Um, I mean, it also like having generalized low self-esteem really does help a lot in this process. 
because when someone is like, I don't like your book, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, that's what I tell myself. All the, I really can't recommend having no self-esteem enough in like this sort of thing. Because like, it's just you know what you sold me on this on this particular instance. I'm, I'm with you. I think that sounds amazing. Or like, so everyone, you know, if like, you're keeping just, track, have low self-esteem and a, a deep well of spite. These are the two. <laughs> but I'm very successful at this point. Like, there's no doubt that I've also been quite successful. So you know what? What works? I'm 36 years old. I know myself. I've embraced my thoughts my flaws um yeah like we definitely got some passes initially which I also knew to expect like it's just what happens um but then we also had one editor express interest pretty soon I think um and then two more soon after that and then I don't know what else I'm allowed to talk about so Selva you can I mean, it went in auction. So we had an auction and it's a very exciting thing when that happens because you have many editors essentially court you. So we had lots of exciting calls. It was a very difficult decision at the end of the day because it's always hard to break anyone's heart. Um, and we went with the editor that felt right for the project and the rest is history. Oh, the fact that that stuff you can't reveal. You guys are, are talking back and forth through the whole auction. You're letting Kyle know what's yeah. happening, who's offering yeah. what. Yeah. Uh, and, and Kyle gets to make as much of it as, I mean, I do at this point say, hey, this is why you came to me. Let's Eba do this because I'm the expert. Or do you kind of, do you talk about it and come to the decision together? Um, we talk about it and come to this decision together like every time except so far i've taken her advice every time i think right because like i yeah because yeah, like you know i want to know what's going on and i want to be informed and i want to be given options but also i literally don't know what the right choice is and i trust Saba to not to make that choice for me but to give me enough information to make the right choice which just happens to be the one that she thinks i should make this is the ideal scenario, just so you know. <laughs> and also, caveat, you are allowed to make the choice I'm not necessarily recommending, I think. And that happens often. And I'm fine with, I mean, my role is advisory, as I always say. I'm on your team, but you make the decisions. And it's always great when there is an agreement, obviously. But if there isn't, I mean, as long as I feel I have given you all the information I can give you, I feel good about doing my job. And my job That's, is to give you that information and your job is to make the decision. So. I think, you know, at some point I will likely make a decision that is against your recommendations because I'm an adult with agency. Um, but so far it hasn't happened yet. And so far I think we're doing pretty good. Yeah, I like it. No pressure, but I like it. <laughs> Seba, you uh, said, I think I, I got this from your website, that you are representing the interest of your clients zealously, even after they find homes for their books. So, okay, you find a home. Um, um, and what uh, what does that look like? How are you looking out for Kyle's interest zealously past that point? Well, the publication process is long and has a lot of different aspects to it beyond the book deal. Obviously, the most important one is negotiating the contract. Um, that can be very painstaking. And also, I often have to chase contracts, people to get me the contract. And then I have to actually chase them to respond to me when I respond to them because they're really, really short-starved and pandemic has made it much worse. So that's the that's the most important thing I do after we we sell the book ostensibly to the editor and they step back and then legal comes in. Um, but even after that, you know, we have conversations about, you know, 
um, how we're going to publish the book. Um, when is it going to get published? Seasons. What's the marketing going to be like? What's the publicity going to be like? I make sure I try to sort of, I know authors have no idea what this timeline looks like. And also it's, it's that, that kind of information is so difficult to glean because different houses work very differently from each other. So there is no manual on what to expect once you sold, once you sell your book. And I know because I have that sort of experience, I'm the person supposed to tell my clients how to do that. And so usually what I tend to do is when we're about nine months from pub, I'll sort of send them a checklist um, that I kind of design individually for each of my clients, sort of month by month where I tell them, all right, this is what we need to be doing at this point in your journey. Um, this is when we should sort of nudge your editor and ask them, okay, can we meet our publicity team? Can we meet our marketing team? Um, let's talk about conferences we can pitch to. Let's talk about, um, you know, uh, have, do we have a cover yet? Why don't we have a cover yet? Can we talk about that? Um, I make sure that the author is involved in that, you know, consultation. Um, I make sure I sort of, the vibe that I'm presenting to the editor is we are really interested in being hands-on here. And I know that's an important thing for me to communicate because a lot of authors are actually not interested necessarily in being that hands-on in the process. Um, and then they, and it's in the editor's interest not to give them that information or invest that time and energy in them because they are so busy. So when I, I start the I start the relationship that way so that they can sort of keep us, you know, up to date, you know, as reviews come in, I'm asking when are the reviews coming in? Shouldn't they be coming in? You know, like I sort of check in every every month or so. Like my my personal process is first of the month, I look at all my clients' books and where they are in their process. And I'm like, all right, what do I need to follow up on for whom and why and with whom? And so um, after the book gets sold and the and the contract gets signed and we've announced it usually, like I said, nine months to pub, there are certain things that I kind of have to follow up with on with. And sometimes I don't even have to because the editor is really hands-on and they do it themselves and that's wonderful. But sometimes they forget, you know, balls get dropped. Where's the audiobook? Is that happening? Who's narrating it? Do we need to audition people? Like these are things that, you know, I've heard horror stories from, from my fellow agent colleagues where like, if we don't follow up, sometimes they just absolutely get dropped completely. You know, like I've heard of stories where the audiobook was literally forgotten. I've heard stories where the editor forgot to send the book to trade reviews. They just forgot. <laughs> so it never got reviewed by Kirkus or, you know, SLJ or anything. It just, and it was, I mean, that's such a big factor in sales and in promotion and in just getting the word out of the, on the book. So I try really hard to make sure we hit those market those marks and make sure that my authors know and that Kyle knows his publicist and his marketing team are as soon as they can so they can build a relationship and then that they can kind of feel excited about the book because as I said in the beginning of this interview most people on your team haven't read your book and you know maybe they'll read your book if they like you enough honestly, um, or they're excited by what you're writing, or they like you and, you, and you talking to you has made them excited about it. And, you know, I often say, if you're in New York, please meet your editor, try to schedule a visit at your publisher. Obviously, pandemic has made that difficult, but just show them who you are. And then they might actually, you know, be like, oh, you know, I like him. I'm going to read the book and see. And that's obviously going to make such a big difference to how well the book gets promoted. So, those are the kinds of things I kind of encourage my clients to do. And I think I've done for Kyle too in this process. So, yeah. And Kyle, what's, uh, what's been your experience uh, getting uh, to this point of wink, wink, uh, three days before launch um, up to now? What, ha what has Sada been in contact with you about? How have you worked together to get to this moment? 
Um, I mean, it's honestly hard to answer that for too bright to see, which comes out in three days from now, wink, wink. Um, because since then, we have sold a lot of books together. Um, and we are both guilty of talking about different projects on one email thread. So like, she'll send me an email about like, oh, we just got, you know, what do you think about the cover for this? By the way, this other project, the editor told me, and then the email turns into like this whole unrelated project. Um, so my brain is kind of a jumbled mush of different books at this point, And it's harder for me to like sort of trace the through line of Too Bright to see which comes out in three days. Um, but it's just a lot of emails, man. Like, I don't know. It's like, it's just a lot of emails about lots of details. Some of which I didn't know were details. Um, some of which I was really excited to find out, like, you know, the cover design. Um, I was extremely excited about the audiobook because the actor that they chose to record the audiobook just happened, literally just happens to be one of my best friends. Um, the audiobook engineer was like, hey, you know, we're coming up with some names. I'm wondering if you've heard of this trans actor based in Brooklyn named Jax Jackson, uh, was going to go on in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, but hasn't because of the pandemic. Check out Jax's website. Let me know what you think. And I was like, here are all the selfies that we have together. Like, <laughs> we've been friends for ages. So yes, I think that Jax would be a great choice for this. Um, so there have been like a lot of joys along the way that I wasn't even anticipating. Um, and then just, you know, a lot of, a lot of emails about like conferences and panels and like flap copy and you just got this starred review and like, you know, good stuff. It's just, it does, it's just, I saw, I saw a, a gif or a gif the other day of like little birdies like running back and forth as like waves were coming up at them. And then like they managed to avoid the waves with their little bird feet. And that's how it feels. It's just like always running around emails. <laughs> So, okay, here we are um, at lunch. Uh, it's time to promote the heck out of the book as, as best you can. And we, we can all see clearly that Seba cares enough that she comes on a podcast with you to tell the whole world that the book is available by God Tuesday. Get your copy. What, uh, how else uh, is Seba helping you to market and what marketing are you able to do outside of, I assume most in-person events are, are out or limited? Yeah, I don't know. 2020 was really depressing. Um, I think in other times there would be doing more, I would be doing more, but it's releasing a book in a pandemic is depressing. So I don't think that I've been hustling slash getting out there as much as I would have liked to. Um, but I basically just say yes to everything that anyone asks me to do. Um, panels, interviews, that sort of thing. Um, you heard him, bloggers. Send those emails. <laughs> yeah. He says yes. Get get them on your get them on your blog. Get them on your site. Um, and you know this is this is not a decision that I made, but it is a thing that has happened anyway. Is that my early reader series, Call Me Max, is currently the center of a lot of controversy in both Utah and in Austin, Texas. Um, so I've been getting a lot of press around those books, and I've been working with a lot of really incredible people in Salt Lake City. Um, so I actually feel like grateful for the opportunity to like work with and support people doing work in those areas. Um, but you know, those, you know, the question of like this school decided that your book is inappropriate turns into a conversation about like, are trans people like myself allowed full stop? Like, are we allowed 
Um, and I always use that as like a invitation to sort of talk about what I see my work contributing to not just like trans literature, but like sort of like trans cultural creation. Um, and I'm not gonna say that like, I use it as an excuse to plug my novel, but I say like, here are the ways that trans stories can reshape and reimagine the world instead of just always reacting to transphobia or bigotry. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, I guess, thanks Murray and Ian school districts for the free publicity. It like is coming at the expense of the well-being of like children and families and people in your district. But like, I guess, thanks for the free publicity. If you can call that free. Doesn't sound free, not <laughs> the, mental, uh, the mental there tax There is a cost, alone. but yeah. Well, if you're not gonna plug your book, plug mine. <laughs> uh, Sebo, what uh, what recommendations are you making for uh, marketing? Since we unfortunately we can't we can't plan what uh, schools are gonna are gonna start controversies. Um, what uh, what what options are available to authors during this time of of COVID nineteen? Although I'm, I'm I'm optimistic, I agree. Twenty twenty was just the worst, but I have decided. By God, Joe Biden's president, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League happened. I never thought that would occur. It's a whole new world. Uh, I know you're vaccinated, uh, Seba. You've got shot number one. I'm, I've got an appointment to get shot number one. We're gonna turn this thing around. <laughs> but uh, and while we're while we're still in pandemic time, Seba. But what, uh, what marketing recommendations do you have? So I just basically uh, lay it out kind of very uh, frankly with my authors who are who were debuting in 2020 and those who are debuting this spring as well. Um, that this is a situation, I mean, you can't expect a book tour or like traveling and all of that. It's not going to happen. I mean, it's very rare even out of pandemic, but now it's definitely not happening. Um, so, you know, I think um, there's, so what I do is because I schedule, I try to schedule a conversation between my authors and their publicity and marketing teams pretty early in advance. I like it to happen around the eight month, maybe seven month mark, six is pushing it. I think that's a bit too soon because I want to have those strategizing brainstorming conversations especially now and I think that was even more important last year because I was like we need to know I mean you need to give us some guidance here we're kind of all in the dark what has been working for you how are you promoting your titles coming out right now versus say the one that we want you to promote for us with us in six months from now what's working um what do you recommend we do in preparation for when our book comes out and a lot of the advice we got was you know honestly we really don't know it's working, it's too early, it's just the timeline, we just, we don't have data, but obviously, you know, doing remote panels and doing sort of virtual panels, virtual launches is what we've shifted to entirely, and we're not sure that it necessarily pushes the needle on sales, but it is what we're doing, it is what's giving our books, you know, airtime, so to speak, or just um, an opportunity for us to talk about them and, you um, get it in front of people's eyes, especially the people who are on social media, because that's the only way we're connected right now. So um, the good news is because it was all virtual, we were able to come up with a lot of interesting panels with people who are not necessarily local to the people whose books, to my clients. So we actually came up with some panels with authors who are not, wouldn't have otherwise be able to travel to all meet in the same place. So we're taking advantage of that, which is nice. Um, I think just um, 
some of the challenges have actually been you know there are there are there are so you can feel like you can do many many panels uh, say for example a panel a one book launch and then maybe three or four panels within the same say two or three week span of the book launch um but it's just you know i think in the effort to try and do as much as you can given that it's a pandemic a lot of my authors and other authors i'm seeing are burning out really fast because it's quite taxing to do all of this work remotely you know be on all the time and then talk about your book in front of a screen and not sort of feel those positive vibes of people coming up to you and just making you feel good about being a writer signing your books in person for someone meeting children at a reading as opposed to reading out on a screen it's not the same thing and i'm sure Kyle you can speak more on that um so i've actually been advising my authors to try and not go overboard on the virtual thing you know like i think it's good to definitely have some kind of a launch event maybe plan a couple of panels but don't over schedule just because you feel like you should or you can because everything is virtual because again it's important to remember these things don't necessarily move the needle on sales as much um it's just something for you to do so that you're viewed by your publisher and other people in the industry as someone who's doing stuff you know an author who has their stuff all figured out and who's like being present on social media and talking about their book in an entrepreneurial way which is all great but i think the balance needs to be maintained of how much can you do that will make sense for you to do that is positive for your book that doesn't take away from your well of mental health and well-being you know so i think generally speaking overall i would say um finding your community trying to come up with panels with maybe some friends of yours who are writing similar themes or definitely in the same category and genre and and i'm actually recommending my authors plan for panels many months in advance and not try and just pack them together just because it just it's much it's much more useful to have an event where you can talk about your book in a meaningful way in conversation with other people um with time space in between just because it it keeps you on the radar of people who are interested in learning about new books for a longer span of time so that's the kind of you know feedback we're getting from publicists and my friends who are publicists and marketing people i i try to sort of keep in touch with them on personal level and be like tell me what's working so i can tell my authors what's working and things like that um and you know other than that just just trying to follow up with with publicists and marketing people and saying so how what's the what's the what's the tenor right now what's the pitch like can we how do you feel about us doing i know i have a book coming out um in august as well and it's kind of up in the air we're not sure if we're going to do in person or not and so i have to keep kind of every 3 weeks or so get a vibe of are we doing in person are we not doing in person how are you feeling how are you feeling you know and to sort of keep the conversation going and i keep trying to ask everyone involved um what are you seeing with titles that came out say in january like how do you think you know how what are you seeing spikes in sales coming from certain events um if it's you know a specific launch event or if it's you know Oprah mentioned the book or it, it was on a today show or whatever you know like there are all there are certain things that we we really really push for i always ask my authors you know who are your reach people who you really wish like some celebrity who wants to read your book and it's harder but i don't even think we had this conversation with Kyle because celebrities don't read middle grade <laughs> you know just generally but like picture books for example lots of celebrities will especially those with children we'll pick up a picture book and so we always have that conversation of who are your reach celebrities and let's let's hustle and try to get their contact information let's find their assistant so that's the kind of thing we're kind of hoping will help because 
since everything moved, everything's moved onto social media, we're really just trying to amp up visibility and um, conversation about the books on all across all channels in any way we can, because it's just, it's been so difficult to actually have those in-person events, well, impossible really. So I think that's what we're doing. I mean, you know, it's it's been very bizarre and I'm interested in seeing how these methods and and these conversations change as we shift back into post-pandemic life. Um, I'm not sure necessarily that people will be as excited to move to in-person completely, which I actually think is not a bad idea because I think there's been a lot of interesting reach um, audiences that would not have necessarily had as much access to certain authors now have so much access to them because they're not all, all of these events tend to be New York, right? New York City, um, a lot of these authors, even if they're not local to New York City, will, will often travel to New York City to have their launch because that's the glamorous thing to do, especially in adult fiction and nonfiction. So now, because that's not the case, I think we're seeing a lot of communities respond to authors making themselves present um, online uh, to books that they wouldn't have necessarily had that exposure to. And I love that. And I think that that's something if if I were ever asked what my opinion was by some publicist, which I don't think will happen because I am not a publicist. I think- Pretend that, I am, I'm asking, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I think that's such a valuable thing. I think we should, I think maintaining a healthy balance between doing virtual events and not would be great. Um, they were happening before the pandemic, but it was very rare. It was just, I remember thinking, because I'm not in New York City, I always knew when an author was doing a virtual event because it was always exciting. I would always sort of bookmark it. Like, okay, my God, this author is actually going to do something online. I get to see them speak or hear them speak. And that's so great. And it doesn't ever happen. So I remember now, obviously, I don't feel that way anymore because it, that's kind of the modus operandi. But I hope that doesn't change because there are so many communities, not just in the United States, but all over the world. Like where we love the fact that, you know, we can actually just zoom into this stuff and you know, have this opportunity to hear from authors and, you know, perhaps not have their launch parties online, but just have more panels where they're making themselves more accessible to people who wouldn't otherwise have had that access. A quick counter argument, because I've got a number of favorite authors who I see are very active on social media, but then it's been a couple of years since their last book. So every time I see a long Facebook, I'm like, that long Facebook post, that could have been another chapter in your book. Write another book, I need it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's such an agent thing to say, by the way. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I'm looking uh, at the time and I'm, I'm, I'm watching it fly by and I know we've got to think about landing this thing at some point. Uh, esteemed audience knows I'm going to ask, so more, no time like the present. Uh, have either of you seen a flying saucer and or a ghost? And Kyle, we'll start with you. Um. I've not seen anything that I've recognized to be a UFO or a ghost, but that does not mean that I have not seen something that in fact is. Um, you stole my answer, are, Kyle. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I mean, aliens are probably there somewhere. I don't know. As for ghosts, I there's two facts. One is that if I'm ever spending the night in someone else's house, I ask if their house is haunted. But I also tell them that I don't believe in ghosts. I just want to know. Just in case. <laughs> so have you stayed, had the experience of staying in a house that was haunted? Usually when I ask people, they're like, no, of course my house isn't haunted. And then one time someone stopped and was like, well, and I was like, don't tell me, I don't want to know. 
<laughs> and then he continued and I did not like his response. Um, but I was fine. Nothing happened. Uh, and so it sounds like uh, we've already heard your answer, but anything at all? No, I was going to say not as far as I know, but that doesn't mean that they don't exist, which is what I was basically what Kyle said. Um, we didn't plan that ahead of time, I promise. We didn't, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. When we're back to in-person events, I'm hoping that you're both leaving a conference together and you look up and you see a bright light in the sky and then you'll come back on the show and you'll tell me about it and it'll be tremendous. Also, wait, uh, Reva said, Sub and I have never met in person. Nope, never. Really? We no. we only like, we had our first video call like a few months ago, but prior to that, we had also only ever talked on the phone or emailed. Yep. Wow, so that's gonna be a big event, long time coming when that, when that finally occurs. I know, it's gonna be surreal. When I actually see you in real life, I'm gonna be like, ah! It's gonna be <laughs> weird. Like I'm excited, but it's gonna be like kind of weird. <laughs> you exist. Well, I promised uh, esteemed audience that I'd, I'd circle back, uh, Seba, and ask about the types of projects that you're looking for. And I, I cheated. I looked ahead. Uh, and um, I wanted to also follow up on, I know that you've said that you're looking uh, for something, what'd you say, that uh, you're looking for um, a true range of perspectives that exist in this world and address urgent and often underexplored issues in both fiction and nonfiction that you're looking for anything Roald Dahl-esque. Uh, so I'll let you take it from there, but what kind of unexplored issues uh, in fiction and nonfiction are we looking for? Okay, um, I have a spiel, <laughs> which I Excellent. remember. So let me see if I remember it. I'm not, I have it open, but I'm not gonna look at it. Mm -mm. Um, so, because I get this question a lot and I understandably obviously get it, um, but, um, so in terms of the stories that I want, um, um, the stories that I wish to champion are mostly just stories that showcase both the individual and the collective humanity of the characters featured and the communities that they belong to. I feel like ultimately, you know, Everyone always just says every story has been told. It's just how you tell it. And I do believe that to a certain extent, but, but the flavor of these stories can be just so much more vibrant, just given certain differences that we don't even think about or we don't grapple with because we're so contained by our own individual experiences of our lives. And I think that's a product also of the fact that, you know, we live in a world that is more connected than it ever has been. Um, and we feel this sense of almost laziness about what we know and how much we know and how informed we are, if that makes any sense. But the fact of the matter is, is just because we have access to the internet, we don't know everything. We just know we can know everything. And that can, that can create this false kind of equivalence of, of, of knowledge and of being informed, but it's not actually there. And I think that's, that's the kind of thing I like thinking about when I read a submission and I try to think about what is it I'm getting out of it. Um, you know, I think that, you know, children's literature particularly, and we'll talk about middle grade because it's about middle grade. Um, I think middle grade is honestly the ideal tool to bridge the gap that, that we have, which is that there's so much we don't know about each other that we don't even know we don't know. Um, and just to celebrate the incredible range of differences in our global population and to find fun, innovative, and ultimately heartwarming ways to connect us all through storytelling. Because I think that children in particular, and I'm sure Kyle, you can speak to this as a librarian, 
um, they're so delightfully receptive to difference, you know, to characters who aren't anything like them, who don't look like them, who don't think like them, who aren't even from our planet, you know, UFOs, of course they exist, you know, like there's just this like, this confidence they have about who they are. And, and if they don't know something, then they just say, oh yeah, I don't know this. And if you tell them something, they'll be, okay, that makes sense. You know, it's just, it's so refreshing. Um, I, I think that, you know, they also tend to, and you know, you mentioned Roald Dahl-esque, um, you know, those are the stories I grew up on, you know, not into his politics, but I was very much enamored of his world and just his idiosyncratic way of thinking about communicating to children, which I really, I really connected with when I was a kid. Um, you know, Me because- too. And now when I read them to my child, I just read around a couple of parts. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, children, yeah, because I mean, I think, and I can speak to as, as, a, as an ex-child myself, um, <laughs> they tend to <laughs> embrace the absurd and the unexpected as a simple matter of fact, which I love. You know, I mean, I feel like I, I'm also an adult who does that and I love adults who do that as well, but definitely more children do that than adults, which is why I think middle grade is such a great space for that, you know? Um, and I, I really love how instructive it can be for older readers engaging with these stories along with our younger friends. You know, when they, when I read to the children in my life, or I imagine reading some stories that I'm reading that may, maybe they're not ready for. I'm thinking, wow, you know, I can imagine how they'd react. And then, and then I, I, I would have to find a way to kind of think about how they're reacting and respond to it because it's just, it just, you know, it's just always humbling to realize that our preconceived notions about the world and about what it looks like, how it works, who is deserving of our attention is just, very limiting, honestly. Um, you know, it should be challenged. And I think kids do such a great job of that. And when we read middle grade, especially, perspectives are so, they're so honest and they're so earnest. And, and often it's just, it's so, that childlike wonder and often that, that grace and that humor and that generosity of spirit you see from their perspective that emanates, like that's the kind of, that's the kind of purview I wish everybody in the world had, honestly. And so that's why, you know, those are the kinds of stories I want, the stories that sort of inspire those feelings and responses, you know. Um, we honestly, and I always like to say this because I think it's so true, we, we read to understand ourselves by understanding others. And, you know, I feel like the wider range of stories that we give to the children in our lives, the richer our own lives become. So when I think about underexplored issues, I'm thinking about anything I can't even point my finger at it because there are so many stories like to write to see that I couldn't have even imagined coming up with until I saw it and it made me so happy and excited that it existed and made me want to work with it so badly you know just a story that I'd never read before that makes me feel like this is a child I haven't met and that I want to I want this child to be my friend you know like that's that's kind of what I mean I guess what's your favorite Roald Dahl story Oh gosh, I haven't thought about him quite intentionally for a long time. Um, but I would say, I mean, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like Matilda is an obvious answer. It comes up, you know. But I don't, I don't know. I also will have to admit, and this is really embarrassing, that my first introduction to Roald Dahl was The Witches, and it was. I mean, I thought it was really scary, and not much scared me as a child. And so, just because it scared me, I was like huh, this is the real deal, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but I mean, I, I find that book to be wildly problematic right now. So, um, 
I actually am a huge fan of his adult fiction. He writes short stories for adults that are really weird. And the thing is, I, I read them when I was way too young because I think my parents just got me the books. With, oh, it's, it's by Roald Dahl, obviously for children. Uh, spoiler alert, these are very adult stories. <laughs> so do not, do not share them with your kids. So, you know, I think he has this knack of, um, you know, just having these twist endings that are slightly dark and macabre and that kind of developed my palette for that as well at a very young age. Um, but back to your original question, Gosh, I'm, I'm blanking. Um, I was happy I with know. The Witches. That's my favorite. <laughs> I don't know. The and it is so first. problematic, but, but so scary. Yeah. I, the Witches was, like, Roald Dahl was one of my favorite authors when I was a kid, and I loved The Witches as a kid. Yeah. And then a few yeah. years ago, we were, I was hanging out with, like, one of my librarian friends, and she was like, yeah, like, unfortunately, The Witches is anti-Semitic. And I was like, yeah. what? Like, where's the, because, like, I'm Jewish, too. And I was like, wait, where's the character? And she's like, well, it's about a, it's about a, diasporic, internationally globalist race of malicious assimilators where you can't tell who they are unless you look closely at their noses uh, with unlimited access to wealth and they want to poison your children. And I was like, oh, that's just like, yeah, yeah, that's just, that's just like every conspiracy theory about yeah. Oh, come on, man. I just had it down as sexist. I, I didn't know about that part. No, I'm so sorry. No, it, no, Rob, that ruined my day. Like, I was, was having a nice lunch with my friend, and I literally had to, like, go to the bathroom and hyperventilate. And I was like, that, that that's book why is they about want to admit it. I was like, oh, like, I think it's the witches, even though the witches. But, like, it's, it's about Jews. Like, they turn into rats at the end. Like, it's literally, like, uh, I'm so sorry. It ruined my day. It ruined my day because I, I lied. I said that thing that Sarah said up front about people not reading and publishing would be the most heartbreaking thing in this podcast. No, so it wasn't. It's like it's like I didn't <laughs> notice it until we started actually, and I was like, oh no, like oh, I'm so, I'm I'm sorry to ruin your day. That's it's. Oh, yeah. immediate topic change. All right. So, Kyle, <laughs> what can you tell us <laughs> about uh, if you're Please a kid like me. Gavin uh, coming here in summer of 2022 and live with that uh, in spring of 2021? Okay. Number one, please don't hate me. I'm so sorry for ruining your day. Um, but you didn't write the book. You just <laughs> came by the knowledge. Um, 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 um. Oh, okay. So if you're a kid like Gavin, is come is a picture book biography coming out next year at some point that I co-wrote with Gavin Grimm, who is uh he's like 20 or 21 now, but when he was in high school, he had to sue his school to let him use the boys' bathroom after he came out as trans. Um, like just the the trauma that this kid had to endure at like 15 or 16 is unimaginable to me. Um, and I feel like deeply and profoundly honored that he's like trusting me to work with him on his picture book biography. Um, and then, so actually Live With That was the original title of Too Bright to See. Um, we changed it to Too Bright to See at some point in the process, but I have another middle grade coming out from the same publisher. We don't have a title for that yet either. No, we don't. Um, it might have the word vegetables in the title. I yeah, really that's hope all we that can it's, say. <laughs> yeah. Um, I hope that it has the word vegetables in the title. Yeah. Um, but that one is, it. it is another story about how being trans can be the beginning of a story and not the conclusion. And I don't I, know if I, I'm allowed to say more about that because I don't know how two book processes work. I think that's good enough. 
fine. Um, my uh, last question uh, for each of you is always some variation of, although before I ask it, I must say, uh, right up until you destroyed my childhood, Kyle, this has been the most lovely <laughs> conversation. <laughs> I have really enjoyed uh, talking with both of you. Uh, no, you know what? You gave me knowledge. I'm better informed now. Uh, next time someone says The Witch is by Roald Dahl, let's be real quiet. I, I don't even know what book that is. Moving on. <laughs> but uh, this has been an absolute pleasure and I, I appreciate both of you carving out the time. Uh, so my last question uh, is always some variation of if you could go back toward the start of your publishing career uh, or wherever would be most useful to you and give yourself some advice that would have made a significant amount of difference for you and might make a significant amount of difference for all of the authors and future literary agents listening now. What would you go back and tell yourself? Uh, and Kyle, we'll start with you. Oh no, I was gonna make Saba go first. Um, <laughs> so, that, so that you don't steal my idea. <laughs> um, Saba, do you, have, you wanna go first? Sure. Um, I guess it would be nice to be able to tell myself that I should stick through and not be on the verge of giving up as much as I was. Um, which is ironic because I don't think I would have listened to myself if I told myself that. I would have been like, of course you're gonna tell yourself not to give up. You don't give up, Saba Suleiman. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, it's just such a difficult career. And also given that, you know, I, given my personal family background and just my upbringing, it's, I mean, I, I just, didn't have any role models. You know, I don't know anybody who does what I do, you know, like anything like what I do in my family or anywhere in my life or my anywhere. It's just, I still have find myself having to explain what I do to most people in my circles and in my family and back home in Pakistan where I was, where I spent a majority of my life. Um, and I think that was the biggest stumbling block for me when I was, in, when I began just figuring out whether this was, something that I could actually do, you know, and make a career out of versus just this thing I decided to try on a lark and see if I could do it, you know, and, and that's how I was made to feel by most of the people in my life. Not my parents, because they were very supportive and my sister, but just everyone else, because, you know, what's publishing or what's an agent? I mean, most people don't even know literary agents are in publishing. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think I would have told myself to just, you know, not worry about that as much as I did. Now I feel much more confident that what I do is a real thing. It's a real job and that I make a difference and that I'm good at it. And that it's not just me flailing around, figuring out what I can do. That's not being a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer like every other South Asian. So, yeah. Where uh, can esteemed audience find you online, follow you on Twitter, all that good stuff? Yeah, I have a website. That's my full name.com, sabasaleman.com. And I am on Twitter and Instagram at Agent Saba. That's A G E N T S A B A. And Kyle, what uh, advice are you going back and telling yourself? I have two answers to that question. The first answer is a real thing that is private and not something that I will talk about in public, but is real nonetheless. Um, the answer that I can give in public is equally honest, um, but is like, I don't know, you know that thing, you know, the, the, it's not the butterfly effect because that's flapping the wings, but it's like you go back in time and you're with the dinosaurs and you squish a bug and you come to the future and it's like, 
bad or different, you know, that like paradox. Um, I like knock on wood, like Baruch Hashem, I feel happy with where I, I feel very happy with where I am in publishing and I'm like extremely lucky and extremely like blessed to be where I am. And I think if I had gone back and told myself anything that would potentially change where I am now. Um, and I don't want to change where I am now. And I think that everything that I went through, like all of the rejections that I got and all of the times that I wanted to give up, but didn't. And all of the like frustration and spite and anger and jealousy that I felt are all part of who I am today um, and where I am today. And I like that place. And I don't think I would want to change that by making things easier on past to me because he got through it. Like he would be fine without my advice because I clearly am. Um, and then the other part of your question is like similar advice that I would give to other aspiring writers. And I don't like, you know, it's, it's common to say like, don't give up, but I gave up on a lot of things. Like I gave up on the very first book I tried to write and that might never turn into anything. And I did give up on my young adult novel and that was a perfectly good choice. Um, I mean, I might go back to it someday. I still think that there's hope there. Um, but I gave up on other projects because I wasn't the right person to tell those stories. And I gave up on law school. I dropped out after six weeks and still had to pay them like $12,000. Um, like sometimes giving up is a perfectly honorable choice. And if a writer is like, this is too hard, I don't wanna do this anymore. Okay, like you're a grown up and you can make your own choices. And like, maybe that is the right choice for you. I can't tell you what to do. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to squish a bug, and have everything be different now. <laughs> Where uh, can a esteemed audience find you online and follow you on Twitter and all that kind oh, of stuff? My website is myname.com. So k y l e l u k o f f dot com, and then my Twitter handle is at shekels s h e k e l s underscore library, which is a reference to a character in a China medieval novel, The Scar. Um, do you know China Mayville, Rob? Have you read his books? I know the name. I have not read the books. Oh, he's so good. Um, and in The Scar, there's this kid named Shekel, who's like a cabin boy, who is illiterate, who learns how to read in a children's library. And like, he finds a children's book that is actually like the key to the like big underwater monster mystery situation. Um, and I like the idea of like a children's book being the key to something larger. So that's why it's Shekel's library. It's not a reference to any kind of currency or our nation. That's what I thought, obviously. But anyway. No, I like I, I feel like I need to clarify that. <laughs> and sign him anyway. That's <laughs> I don't I don't want to make a librarian like my... who likes money. I don't know. <laughs> I mean speaking of like anti-Semitic stereotypes, like I don't like I could I would change it by now, but I don't think I can. Um you actually can, but I anyway. can? Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe I will, because like not enough people have read the scar and I don't talk about my Twitter handle enough and I don't want people to think that it's a reference to like, yeah. I've gotten like a couple followers that are clearly like anti-Semitic trolls who, yeah, it's bad. So I should change that. You'll have to tell me <laughs> how to later, Saba. Sure. So check the website of Steve audience to find the new Twitter handle. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as always, you, you know who I am, esteemed audience. Go to middlegradeninja.com. Read all the most, most amazing interviews that will change your life for the better. Download your free copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Beans. And God willing, I'm alive. I'll see you next week.